I've confronted hundreds of men over two decades. I have been in television for 24 years. I just came to get something to eat. And I have very seldom been at a loss for words. I just came to get something to eat. Men online looking for children to sexually assault. What's the motive here? It's, Explain it to me. I don't no, know you're right. No, you're right. It's stupid. It's, it's not. It's an no. illegal thing. Yeah, I know. I did a stupid thing. Men from all walks of life. A doctor. A teacher. A clergyman. You sent pornographic pictures through the mail. Okay, that's a federal offense right there. You know I'm in trouble. And I know it. I tried to get into their heads and understand why. Who's who we have tonight? Uh, I, I want to know who you are. I want to know a little bit more about you first. Can I eat first? Sure, go ahead. Let's see if any of this sounds familiar while you enjoy your pizza. And ultimately, make sure they face justice. You ask her if she's a virgin. I ask everybody all kinds of stuff. It's just talk. You ask her if she's horny. What's wrong with that? You ask if she does anal. It's a question. Question. Who are they? Have they tried to prey on other children? And where are they now? These are the predators I've caught. I'm Chris Hansen. In October 2007, we set up a sting operation along with the Kentucky Bureau of Investigation, State Police, Bowling Green Police, and the County Sheriffs in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Only seven men surfaced in that investigation, at least while we were operating, and that seemed at the time like a low number. But of those seven, many of the predators are memorable for a lot of different reasons, for what they did for a living, their transcripts. But there's one who really sticks out because it raises a lot of questions, and it still does in my mind to this day. Dustin McFetridge. And so it is that I've chosen Dustin McFetridge to discuss as the latest predator I've caught. Bowling Green, Kentucky is a small town we had a number of investigative agencies and agents working with us, very professional, actually, among the most professional of the uh, To Catch a Predator investigations. It was the 12th investigation and the last one we would do under that franchise. Let me set the scene for you. We had a house, beautiful house, probably 6,000 square feet, right in Bowling Green in a beautiful neighborhood. The Perverted justice decoys, online decoys were working in the basement. We had a room set aside for our production team. We had a full control room. And to look a little different in this investigation, we were going to do the confrontation between the predator and myself in the living room, not in the kitchen, just to make it look a little bit different. And being the 12th investigation, we had the sense that maybe guys were starting to walk into the kitchen and immediately get spooked, although the vast majority still stayed and talked to us. And in this case, it was pretty much the same. I wondered during the investigation why fewer men showed up than perhaps in some of the earlier To Catch a Predator investigations. I think part of the reason, looking back, was the law enforcement team had been doing a continuing sting operation. So in other words... We were only present for one of three operations, which netted a total of 29 men. In our segment, we had seven. 
all of them were interesting and important. And it became an opportunity because we had fewer men show up in this case to get into each one of them in detail. There was Lauren Armstrong has achieved cult status among to catch a predator followers, and I'll do an episode on him at some point in the not too distant future. There was a police officer. And then there was, as I said, Dustin McFetridge. Dustin was 26 years old at the time in October 2007. And what made him stand out is that he suffered from cerebral palsy. And we knew this before he arrived. He had discussed it in the chats. Dustin shows up driving the purple PT Cruiser that he owned along with his mother. And he pulls up about as close to the door, the front door of this house, as the driveway would allow. And he opens the door. Our decoy in this investigation was Casey Morrow, who we had first met during the Jersey Shore investigation. She was the daughter of the homeowner in that particular case. And she was great. She knew that he had cerebral palsy, that he had a disability. But when I get into the chat in a minute, you'll see that he was no less dangerous. But you still feel sorry for this guy. He opens the door, he's got a cane, and he's struggling to get out of the car. And it seemed to me at the time that it took forever for him to make it from the car to the front door and then come in. It was almost as if Casey needed to help him. And so his presence is a bit disarming. And and I remember being in the back room watching this on video, wincing and looking at Lynn Keller, my producer, and saying, you know, how are we going to handle this? And then I looked back at the transcripts and I was reminded of how graphic they were and the danger that he posed to a 13-year-old girl. He had been chatting for weeks since the previous month with a 13-year-old girl named Laura who went online by the name Ghosts Are Real. And let me give you a sense of that chat just so you get a feeling for what Dustin was capable of. He talked about shaving her private parts. He talked about whether or not he would put his semen in her mouth or other places first. He wanted her to wear panties for two or three days in a row and send them to him prior to his arrival. And here he is, after this sexually charged chat, making his way into our sting house. Dustin goes by the name Wrestling Dude in East Tennessee, and I'll explain that a little bit more later. He says at one point, I want to make love to you. Decoy says, that'd be cool. K-E-W-L. Have you ever seen people have sex? In movies, she says. Do you like seeing it? I guess. They don't show much. They hug and kiss. You need to watch it online, then. Have you ever played with your slang word for vagina. What do you mean? Then he encourages her to try. They go back and forth for days until finally Dustin decides to get in this PT cruiser and drive five and a half hours from another state, Sergoinsville, Tennessee, to our home in Bowling Green, Kentucky. 
He also talks in the chat about doing a three-way with Laura and her eight-year-old sister. He wants to shave Laura in her private area and becomes very graphic in the description of how he's going to do so. So we know before he even walks in that his intent is clear. When he does walk in, he sits down in one of the lazy boy chairs. We have two of them facing each other in the living room. Casey is sitting on the arm of another. And we encouraged Casey to have a discussion with him because you never know how one of these predators is going to react once I walk in. And we capture some moments where we see the predator's intent and the interaction between the predator and the decoy, the on-site decoy, is, is, is really, really compelling. And it was in this case, too. And he's totally relaxed. He's disarmed. Like, what would you do first? I don't know. I'd like to hold you. And then what? And kiss you. That's why I'm, that's why I'm asking you to come over here. And this plays out. And I'd let it go to what I think is a logical point. And I walk in. And I say, so I hate to be the bearer of bad news. And he's surprised, but it's almost as if he saw it coming. Casey leaves, and I start my interview with Dustin. Why don't you tell me what your plan was tonight? Huh? I didn't bring nothing with me. I didn't do nothing bad. And But you did bring some things with you tonight. I, I brought... A razor. A razor. And what were you going to do with the razor? I thought she wanted to be shaved down there. It sounds like what you're trying to see is if you could score with a 13-year-old girl. No, sir. I mean, have you chatted online with underage girls before? Quite honestly, I had one time before. A young girl? Yeah. Did you plead guilty or no contact? We didn't go to court. It was just over the phone and like, hey, I'm sorry, this is why I said that. Uh, was, it, was it a scary situation to you? Yeah. Did you learn your lesson? Yeah. But it doesn't seem so tonight. I know. Well, what do you think should happen to you? Don't know. I don't. <laughs> Dustin finishes up with me knowing that he is in trouble. And he really is concerned about whether or not he's going to be criminally prosecuted. And I said, well, that's not up to me, which has become famous as my standard response. And he gets up and, and again, I'm sort of feeling sorry for this guy. I can't help it because he's struggling physically. He's 26. He's obviously got issues. And he turns to walk out. And this again takes forever, step by step with the cane and the law enforcement officers are waiting for him. And they're obviously aware of his disability. And so guns are drawn. They mean business. Dustin, just take a step out, okay? Take a step out. Okay. 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 But they give him time to adjust himself, to adjust to the situation, and then they assist him because he's got this cane during the arrest. I thought they said I wasn't under arrest. Handcuff him and put him in the car. And take him away. When investigators searched Dustin's car, Braun electric razor, some uh, KY uh, lubricant, and uh, you know, digital camera as well. 
They, in fact, found KY jelly, lubricant for sex, and an electric razor, which he admitted later he was going to use to shave the 13-year-old girl's private parts. More about this predator I've caught in a moment. Dustin was facing prison time. All the men who surfaced in the Bowling Green, Kentucky investigation faced between five and 10 years in prison. But Dustin's trouble was just beginning after his arrest. There was the graphic chat log, which was very damning. And he had a past. And he had also traveled over state lines, which was going to be a problem for him. He drove from Sirgoinsville, Tennessee, population about 1,800, all the way to Bowling Green. So they had him on that. They sit him down in the police department, and a member of the Kentucky Bureau of Investigation starts to question him. Let's establish right up front, you knew that she was 13. I thought she was... Let, hold on, hold on. I told you, we're going to be honest with each other, yeah. all right? And he still, at this point, is blaming everybody else besides himself. He's admitting that what he did was wrong. It didn't look good. But he's more concerned about, you know, are you going to call my mom? What's going to happen to the car? Are you going to hold me overnight? Is there going to be bail? How am I going to get out of here? How much is bond? I don't know. We don't set that. Do I have jail since that? Before you all do, can I please call her and let her know? He just figured, okay, you caught me. That's it. I'm done. I can take my punishment. You almost got the sense that he had been through this before, that he had been in trouble before, that his mother, with whom he lived, along with his stepfather, had bailed him out of trouble, had coddled him because of his disability. And that's the picture that starts to develop here. And you can hear this in the interview, both with me and then later, as you'll hear now, with the detective. I come home that day and mom's second husband says, there's a cop calling here for you. I'm like, what's going on? And it was, I don't know, it wasn't a sheriff, it was a police officer. And he said that they are thinking about filing charges. And mom talked talk to him and I don't know the whole story that it's like, if he apologizes, we'll, we'll leave you alone. So I apologize, you know. It turns out that Dustin had been dusted up before in this very same manner. He had met a 14-year-old girl online some months prior to servicing in our investigation. And he had had a sexually charged conversation, tried to initiate a meeting. And he got caught because this girl was the daughter of a woman who dated a local policeman. And so when investigators went to his mother's home to talk to him about it, his mother interceded. They had a discussion. Dustin agreed to apologize to the family and to never do it again. And the matter went away. And I think there was some sympathy there, according to investigators who took a good look at it at the time. And so he skated. But what did it do except embolden him, apparently, to make him think he could get away with it again? In this particular case, the one in which 
he was caught in Bowling Green. Dustin ultimately pleaded guilty to federal charges of crossing state lines to have sex with a minor. And he got five years in federal prison. But during the early part of that sentencing, the investigation continued. In fact, they found investigators when they searched Dustin's mother's home where he lived, child pornography, at least a hundred images. Now this was discussed during the police interview, the issue of child pornography. And Dustin hemmed and hawed and said he may have downloaded something but didn't share it and wasn't sure what was on the, the CDs. What I'm interested in is if you have pornography of underage people and you told me not that you know of, what, um, what is the likelihood that we're going to find something that's somebody underage? There's probably a few photos and a few videos. It turns out there was a lot of child pornography. And he had also transmitted pornography to the decoy in our case. Said pictures of people having sex to teach her how to do this, apparently. And so he faced even more charges for that. That was added on to his sentence while he was in federal prison. During his time in federal prison, Dustin actually petitioned the court, asked the judge if he could have a walk-in jacuzzi in his cell because of his cerebral palsy. He wanted a masseuse and he wanted to move home with his mother to finish his sentence there. All of those requests were denied, not surprisingly. But he did finally get out of prison in 2014 and returned to Sirgoinsville that following year where he was working in a convenience store. Apparently he's using a wheelchair now. McFetridge enrolled in a court-ordered sex offender treatment program, but it didn't go well. In fact, according to those familiar with the case and court records, other offenders were upset at his lack of dedication to rehabilitating himself and would get irritated at Dustin because he wasn't focused on what he was supposed to be doing, which was taking the therapy seriously and trying to not reoffend. And remember, Dustin had to register for life as a sex offender. So he's on the radar of authorities in Tennessee and around the country, actually. So he gets booted from this court-ordered sex offender treatment program because he wasn't making measurable progress. The counselors concluded, according to documents, that Dustin McFetridge wasn't trying to modify his behavior and that when he was confronted about his lack of genuine effort, Dustin made no effort to deal with his problematic activities. This stems from a polygraph test given to him where he is specifically asked about being alone with minors, observing child porn, using his computer for other nefarious purposes. Now, obviously, as you all know, following crime as most of you do, that polygraph results are not admissible in court, but they are admissible when it comes to a procedure like this. And it was determined by the counselors in this program that Dustin was being untruthful and that he had lied about his associations. 
Two alleged lies surfaced specifically during a routine post-examination interview in January 2019. He was asked whether he had been completely alone with a minor and if he had viewed pornography on the internet, according to the court records. But he has not been put back in prison. Dustin has remained free since his initial appearance in federal court and the original revocation charges in May 2019. Now, he could go back to prison, but court dates have been postponed because of his physical situation and because of the pandemic. Many court procedures have been done remotely or postponed if it's not a critical felony case. And so as of this recording, McFetridge is still out of prison potentially in violation of his lifetime sexual offender registration status and parole, and on the brink of going back to prison. And we will keep on top of this case and keep you posted here on the podcast. Dustin McFetridge is now 40 years old. He will forever be on the sexual offender registration list. But it doesn't appear that all this prison time, all this counseling, everything he's been through has rehabilitated him. And while you want to feel sorry for a guy who suffers from his disability, you really have to think that he's still a danger to society. Maybe not physically, but what if he does strike up a conversation with a 13-year-old girl? What if he does send a picture of his private parts? That's damaging in its own right, notwithstanding the fact that any sort of viewing of child pornography is also the re-victimization of a minor. We attempted to reach out to Dustin to get any comment from him. We were unable to reach him. And we will keep on top of his future court cases and update you here on Predators I've Caught. I'm Chris Hansen.